It has been a huge final couple of weeks of world triathlon racing, tracing a line from the South Korean World Cup action in Hyundai and Tongyong, a quathlon and cross triathlon world championships in Extremadura, the second WTCS of the new season in Abu Dhabi, the World Para Championships also in the UAE capital, the World Junior Championships in Quartera, the Para Cup Alejandra and the Duathlon World Championships in Avilas. Don't forget, you can catch the full race replays over on triathlonlive.tv. Also, email us now on podcast at triathlon.org to tell us who you would like to hear from on the pod. But now it's time to catch up with the star of the Europe Cup in Quartera, Lotta Miller of Norway, and hear about the highs and lows of another big year as she heads into the off-season. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed, and then January, February, leading into the next season, uh, my body just broke down. I've been in breakaway positions with with the athletes that are way stronger than me. I remember getting away with Jessica and Katie in Bermuda, and, and I remember the high I got from that, and just the confidence and the way Jessica and Katie just we're not racing against each other. We're racing with each other here, and we're actually making each other stronger. We're building. It's a very it's a culture where uh, winning is everything. Um, and the focus is on being the best and the best being number one. Today on the World Triathlon Podcast, we catch up with Norway's Lotta Miller. After an Olympic debut earlier this year in Tokyo and fresh from Europe Triathlon Cup Gold in Quartera at the weekend, Lotta now heads into the off-season ready to build into a massive 2022 for the 25-year-old. So Lotta, welcome. How are you and where are you? Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually really good. I've had like 48 hours post-race where I haven't done anything. <laughs> so I've, I'm like totally going into this like off-season, uh, like really like full on. Um, I'm good, yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm actually in Edinburgh right now. Uh, basically just packed my bike after I finished my race in Quartera and, and headed off to my second home in Edinburgh. So I haven't been in Edinburgh since uh, the lockdown started. Um, so it's nice to come back and see family and just enjoy being on, on holiday, yeah. Yeah, holiday, nice. And it looks beautifully sort of sunny there, or is that just the golden glow of victory from Quartero? <laughs> yeah, it's a mix between a golden glow and actually nice weather. It's been, it's been nice, it's been very autumny, a mild autumn, you know, like 10 to 15 degrees and, and blue sky and, you know, a fresh, uh, fresh wind so this is perfect to come uh, back to yeah yeah nice so um yeah you, is it your mum that's Scottish your dad Norwegian is that right no opposite so my dad's uh, the British one and then my mum's uh, the Scandinavian one but you grew up in Scandinavia in Norway or? yeah so I'm uh, I was born in Norway in Stavanger west uh, west coast southwest um, reference that's uh, five hours, four hour drive down from Bergen. So Bergen is more north. It's um, yeah, that's where the boys live. And then uh, I've you know been doing school, always lived in Norway, but Edinburgh and Scotland was also always kind of um, holiday season to enjoy. And it, it's a place where you can come, feel like home, but have no stress and no. Um, no stuff you actually have to do so it's like a relaxation home yeah oh so you don't when you said you packed up your bike and left Portugal it didn't even come with you is this is this like a 
cutting out oh no hang on what's that oh no it's right behind you okay fair enough. yeah no I've got my bike back here but that's only because I did a direct travel from Portugal to Edinburgh so uh, I'm not actually planning on packing it out at all the next couple of weeks <laughs> is the off season something that you kind of look forward to and then within you know a few days of not doing it you're, just, you're actually itching to get back to it or do you are you one of those people that can you know, like fully immerse yourself and switch off and then you know build again well I think off season has always been very different from year to year also because my my seasons uh, through my career has always they've always been very different um the fact that I've been ending this season on a high note makes me go into this off season more relaxed and feeling like I deserve to rest uh, and also the experience I've had through the years is if I really enjoy my off season and I and I really relax I don't feel the pressure to exercise um, I feel more motivated and more fresh to get back into it when I then actually start training again. And I think that's a very important thing is off season is a time to build that hunger to get back into training. And, and if you feel that you, you know, you continue that kind of discipline of, of I need to move because that's physically what I need to do to become the best athlete I can be for the future. I think that stress makes it easier to kind of commit 110% when you're back. Uh, that's what I find because I'm a very committed athlete um, physically, but also very psychologically. Uh, and this is my time to like de-stress. And I think that's a good thing for me going into 2022 and also 2021 was a very challenging season for me very mixed some really highs like really big highs but also some really lows and so mentally I I'm drained so I really find myself like taking it day by day but right now taking a walk is is the most activity I want to do yeah (laughs) yeah well and and to so you say like you know you want to relax and enjoy it and and so to be able to come and come into it positive already with that gold must be must be wonderful it was we were talking to Kenji Nenner a few months back and he was saying how uh, at the end of 2020 um you know he'd had terrible luck in Carlo Vivari coming off when he was near the front and so on and and he was he was in a really sort of low place and then came out the other side with a win I think an Asian championships win or something like that that just kind of flicked the switch again and kind of gave him that extra that extra boost to go into the low season because it must be there's so many ways to look at it I suppose from someone who's not been through it but uh going in on a bit of a low feeling like you know what you want to do is one thing but going in feeling on a low and just feeling like you've had a terrible season and like what am I doing here must be awful going in on a high now Europe Cup win and being able to feel like you 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 know you've definitely earned that time off and can can carry that buzz through um have you had have you personally had those heading into off seasons where you've been a bit lost as well and and like wondering how how this is going to shape up and how the next season is possibly going to work yeah absolutely I've had a lot of them uh I've had two seasons uh 2014 and 2016 where I I just couldn't race because I was totally burnt out um and those were really lows for me so that was kind of a period where I was heading into like winter training after not having a season at all and actually not been able to train at all because my body wasn't responding and I've also had seasons where I've started really well and I had to 
end them because of injury um, and also a, a milder burnout again. So I've been there plenty of times. I've, all, I've actually been in those slow places more than I've been in those happy, good places. And I think that's also why I'm really enjoying going into this off-season with, you know, I've had a really good end of the season. Um, and I think it's really important anyway, like it doesn't matter if you've had a bad end or a good end, but I think it's actually being able to distance yourself from the sport for a couple of weeks is really good because even ending it on a high, you can end it on a high and be really like motivated and you can forget to take that break. Uh, and then that will hit you come going into the next season. And that was what actually happened to me when I was a junior in 2014. And uh, when I became a senior athlete in 2016, I, I had some of my best seasons the, the years prior to my burnouts. Uh, 2013 was kind of my breakthrough year as a junior. And then 2015, I ended it with a junior bronze medal. And I was, I was never more motivated than when, what I was at that point as an athlete. But I forgot to take it easy afterwards. I forgot to take a rest. And I, I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And then January, February, leading into the next season, uh, my body just broke down. And I think that was the mental and the physical stress. So I think it's all about kind of, you have to distance yourself. I think that's really healthy. And especially if you kind of identify yourself as an athlete, that if you are an emotional athlete, because I find, you know, some people, they can distance themselves from results in racing in, in what, while they're in their season. And some people are hundred percent committed the whole time during the season. And if you can't shut down during the season, then off season, you really have to shut down. You really have to shut down your system, just kind of press that off button and, and just uh, become that normal person and really kind of find your, um, cause I like to think of an athlete as your, I'm like, I'm lot as an athlete and I'm lot, I'm lot as a person. And this is my time to just really cherish lot as a person and do what I would do uh, outside of sports and kind of find out what do I like outside of sports? Like, what do I enjoy doing? You know, what, where's my, where's my passions outside of the sport? Um, and I do that, you know, when I have my off season and I, and I, I'm just a more happy person and I'm easy. It's easier for me to kind of build my relations with family and friends because there's no pressure of having to perform and, and travel. And so, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So those passions, I mean, is it, do you sort of start those again each time slightly as well? Obviously there's, you know, no doubt things that, interest you and so on but you know some just some nice long lunches with the family to get things going presumably yeah exactly I, I find like and I don't necessarily have a lot of stuff that I actually am passionate about outside of sports because sports is such a big lifestyle I think a lot of triathletes have it like that it's like the only thing that takes up their time is sports uh, but the fact that you can have be more social you can actually enjoy enjoy your lunches over a longer period you can sleep in uh, that's my passion yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that that burnout you were talking about during that off season is that the sort of thing that that is a bit of a, a risk when you're out of your normal training environment and if someone isn't sort of telling you to just ease back that that is when people would will tend to burn out a bit is it if they're sort of just kind of pushing themselves too far without mm, their think... coach there to sort of wag the finger a bit yeah, I think the thing is, a lot of people talk about injury uh, and injury is a very like I always found when I've been physically injured, like if I've had a, 
a tendon issue or if there was been a bone issue that's actually easy for me to tolerate like that's easy for me to handle because it's a very certain plan of okay physiological wise you will take six weeks to heal you know if you have a stress fracture if you have some tendon issues so you can make a plan with a burnout it's very hard to identify Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong it's very hard to kind of pick up the signs of this is an athlete that's burning out um, and especially if there's if usually there is, you know, um, there is a resemblance between the people that burn out and how they act. They're very disciplined. They have this kind of feeling that they have to perform. They have to be there. They have that. Uh, so they, uh, they tend not to listen to their own body, but they tend to do what they feel like they should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially younger athletes that don't have enough experience. I think if you're left on your own there, and you only go by your own desire and your own motivation and the and the feeling that I have and I sh- I, I need and I should do this to become the best athlete in the world. Uh, and you don't actually listen to the signals your body's giving you. Like, are you sleeping well? How's your mood? Uh, are you happy with you know? Are how's your rela- relationship to yourself? You know, are you looking at yourself in a positive way or in a negative way? And I find if you start lacking the mental and en- like the mental energy the fact that you're happy you're not smiling and laughing and enjoying what you're doing anymore uh the sleep and the food is stressful you know your appetite isn't there you're not sleeping well it's very everything is a bit off balance that's a really good sign of okay this is somewhere you don't want to be because it's not going to hold over a longer period of time and I think that's where athletes need to ask themselves is this sustainable Mm. can I do this over a longer period of time or like if you're in an off season and you're doing something that's not sustainable, then you're in the wrong place because an off season, you should be doing something that's sustainable. You know, when you're in a period during a season where it's really heated a couple of weeks, you really have to push your body. If it's into like a big championship an Olympic, you know, an Olympic games or whatever, it's different. But when you're in off season, you shouldn't be doing stuff that's not sustainable. Mm. Um, Cause that's a period of time where you should slack off and take a step back um, and it's very often during the off season where you don't have your training buddies, you don't have maybe the face to face contact with your coach the whole time that people tend to do wrong stuff, you know, because people have this quote of it's what you do in the dark that puts you in the light. You have to grind, you know, when no one sees it. And but maybe that's not where you should grind if you're such a try hard, disciplined, overachieve athlete. Yeah. Yeah, you need to find yourself a little, little mental space as well. But yeah, yeah. when you, when you don't suddenly have that regime, that routine, rather, it, um, yeah, I can imagine it's you know what what are you filling those gaps with? Suddenly, it must be it must be difficult. Yeah, I think a lot of athletes struggle with that. And I've studied sports science, and there is a lot of discussion about you know the dual career, the fact that an athlete isn't only an athlete; an athlete is also a person and and the sense of having a value as a person, where does your value lie? Is that only in the training and the accomplishments you get out racing, or is it actually value from, you you know, what you can bring to the table personality-wise and and what you can give to other people? And I really worked on that uh, after my burnouts, especially because during my burnout seasons, I lost a lot of confidence and I really didn't, have a good you know relationship to myself because my value was only in sports 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that made it really hard for me to relax into the fact that I couldn't train, I couldn't compete, and it was just awful years. And and now I try to really work on the fact that um, there is a value in myself outside of what I actually can perform and, and what I can do in competition. Um, and it's hard sometimes you get really carried away and sports is, sports is everything, but uh, the value in yourself as a person and what you can bring to the table there, I think is more than what you can deliver on the race mm. or on the race day yeah so we did, did you find yourself coming to the end of races and basically comparing your race yourself against those people on the podium why wasn't I doing it what were they doing differently how can I and then yeah exactly exactly and then you would go home and you would want to train to become you know a winner and you were probably not at that point as an athlete you have to always identify you know where am I in my process and and there is a reason why, you know, the best right now are, you know, they're early 30s and I'm in my mid 20s. So I shouldn't be pushing stuff that's not there yet and kind of accept that I'm in, I'm on a level now where I can compete, but I have to accept that I'm not at world best level right now. But if I do everything right and I keep healthy and I am happy, then that might happen in the future. But the most important thing is, have fun and enjoy it uh, because everyone's been telling me and that's the interesting part is everyone that's finished with their sporting career they would look back and say it was so fun and I enjoyed the training days and the competition was always fun as well but it was the stories you hear when they really smile and get their enjoyment from is when oh we were in this training camp and we did this crazy thing and that was what I remembered the most, not necessarily when I pushed my hardest at the Olympic Games and I got a gold medal. Uh, so that's really interesting to hear. And I want to look back at my 20s and not feel, you know, and not feel like I wasted them because as an athlete, there's so much you have to, people say you shouldn't say sacrifice, but you do because you, you choose a very different kind of lifestyle to a lot of your, um, do you say, uh, yeah. Call, yeah, peers. And you get something else, but you also, you say no to kind of the student life and partying and, and doing the, the fun stuff. Well, you're getting a lot of fun out of sports as well. You're traveling the world, um, but you have to make it fun because you'll never get these years back. Uh, mm. And it's something that also my dad told me when I've been going through these tough times is you can stop whenever you want, but you just have to remember you're in a position that only a few percentages of the world will ever come to you're the top of you know you're at the top of something you're the elite of something and very few people get to experience that and you have to enjoy it as well because you're getting something that no one else is getting Uh, and I thought that was a very nice way of kind of he told me that this is very special you put yourself in a very special position so enjoy it while it lasts because no one will or you'll never get that back mm. so just getting on those start lines being able yeah. to do what you do is remarkable so yeah exactly and it's not always that we remember that because we're so focused on being at the top that actually just competing is not good enough but mm. sometimes it is uh, yeah. and it's not to say that you shouldn't achieve more and you shouldn't be hungry for more but you also have to be grateful for where you're at at, at the moment mm. and it's being competitive that's got you to that 
point that's got you to here or that's made you start on that journey. So, um, and you're one of triplets, right? So that, yeah, that's true. kind of definitely got some competitive uh, <laughs> roots in there, presumably. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because the more I've been in the sport, the more I've also found out that there are multiple triathletes that are triplets as well. I think yeah. there, there are some long distance, Sam Long, right he's he's one of the three in the triplet uh yeah triplet sibling gang and also holly lawrence i think is a triplet too okay yeah uh, and I've, I've heard some podcasts from them and the fact the thing they say is their comp- competitiveness comes from being a triplet and i right. think that's such a nice way of saying it because that's where i find my competitiveness comes from too yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that still rumble on in the background? Are, you, are the three of you still quite competitive about things, or is that? Like- yeah, yeah, we've always been, but we've we've uh, we started doing sports as a, you know young kids, but only as fun. And but we started in different sports, and that was a good reason for that because we were just pushed into the same primary school, same class. We lived on top of each other. It was just our space to kind of get our, you know, get our own kind of connections with different people and um our own community and I think what was very nice and what we see in the, a lot of groups is you know success breeds success so my sister started doing very well in in martial arts in taekwondo and I looked at her and I saw if she can do well in her sport then I can do well in mine mm. so um it's actually my sister and I we've been going we've been excelling in our sports going internationally and then my brother he's been keeping it more like low-key and chilled but doing like national competitions and also playing for uh, the national team in Scotland because he's been over in Glasgow studying in um, in Strathclyde, a Strathclyde. Mm-hmm. so he's been doing some uh, competition over there but it's it's fun because it's the, the will of performing and also uh, we've just been focused on from a very early age the fact that if you want to do something uh, well you have to give a hundred percent of yourself uh, and then you most likely will do well. Uh, so work hard and it will pay off. And I think that's a very nice way of, that's a very nice thing. My parents uh, told us from a very young, young age. Yeah. Mm. So to be able to come back uh, now and have that gold medal with you from Quartero and so on as well, must, must be a very nice feeling, but um, yeah. But but also what a race. I mean, let's just sort of go back to the the specifics of so yeah, Quatera on the Algarve. It was uh, a big weekend of racing. There was the junior world championships as well, um, as your Europe Cup. And you can't have been in too many positions before where you've come off on the bike, been able to get back on, still have two and a half minutes, was it, coming out of T2, and then still have to stop twice. <laughs> <laughs> And still win. Um, and then, at, indeed, at the end of it, we spoke in the interview. I was lucky enough to be there, and uh, and you just said how much fun you'd had. And it, you know, there were points there where it definitely didn't look fun, but <laughs> all part of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm actually very happy about Corteira. I think for me, uh, first of all, it was my first win. I've never won anything internationally, and it's taken me. A, you know a couple of years to actually win something and and that was a big thing to actually lead a race because I've never been in this position before uh, but also the fact that I did it in the way I you know the style I did was also even more impressive for me and, and that made the race even more special it was kind of this was the race and the character and the the will was kind of just a hundred percent 
me um, and the way I race. And uh, I've always raced hard from swim bike. I haven't been the most talented runner, but I'm, I'm working on that. But the fact that we managed to get away on the bike and the bike was just, it was just cool, you know, and, and after doing the 70.3 as well I, in Cascai two weeks ago, I knew I could ride solid uh, if, and just keep, um, you know, even watts. And uh, we did that and, and I enjoyed that. And I was very fortunate to have uh, Sharon with me. Uh, and I was just working with her because I knew that we could get the best out of each other on the day. Uh, and I didn't have like I didn't have. Like I didn't want to drop her at any point because I knew she would benefit a lot from from getting away with me as well. It's so much experience for a younger athlete to be in a breakaway position, and I've been in breakaway positions with with the athletes that are way stronger than me. I remember getting away with um, Jessica and Katie in Bermuda in 2018, and um, on was that 2019? I think that's 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember the high I got from that and just the confidence and the way Jessica and Katie just included me in that breakaway. We talked and we made that like a team effort. And I wanted to Sharon to experience that too, because I think you grow a lot as an athlete from knowing that we're not racing against each other. We're racing with each other here and we're actually making each other stronger. We're building momentum here so I I really worked with her and I told her that we were doing a good job and we were doing like I always say to people on the bike it's investment the more we invest in the beginning the easier it will get you know on the um, back end of the race uh, so racing Sharon in Valencia a couple of weeks ago as well uh, she knew how I raced so she was prepared to do that and I knew she knew that and the communication was key and I think that's where the the X factor lies in, in really working together on the bike is knowing that there's a commitment there from, from different athletes and knowing that I want to work, we just have to find a dynamic where everyone can get the most out of each other. And the stronger rider has to just pull longer turns, but then being two is also, it's easier. If it's, then you can kind of have a couple of seconds to reset and then go up yeah. back front again. So it was just really beneficial for me and it was just more fun to do it together than alone. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, did you get to speak to Sharon afterwards? Because she obviously didn't, you know, the, the run unfortunately didn't quite pan out for her, but did you see her after and just sort of say, you know, that was yeah, yeah. I saw her and I give her a big hug and I think, yeah, she was maybe disappointed with the result, but I think what she really got out of it, like personal, I think was way bigger than the result. Because I also remember again, when I've done my breakaways and I haven't necessarily been on the podium, I've been in a podium position getting off the bike, but I just haven't been the best runner and I haven't like been able to hold it through all the way to the finish line, but I still got a massive boost and I got an experience that I could build on for the future. And I uh, I think she'll realize that that was a massive race for her uh, and that she really learned something because the attitude she had during the bike, the fact that she didn't give up, she she was on my wheel, she wanted to work. She could have like easily decided to just stay behind like the majority of a lot of girls do. They just decide that I don't want to work. But she invest, uh, decided to invest and I, I, I love athletes that, really make their own race and yeah you risk something but I also think you push limits and you only get better by pushing your own limits yeah mm. it's so nice that you know you could reflect on the 
your experience in Bermuda and sort of bring that to, to Sharon and I'm sure she would yeah be massively grateful for that and well, I hope yeah I hope these girls see it as like yeah I'm doing a positive thing because a lot of these girls they look at me and they say stop shouting at me <laughs> <laughs> they're less, like literally like they're telling me to like why are you being so aggressive to us and it's just it's not like badly meant it's just the momentum has to be there there has to be a communication and someone has to take charge you know if you want to actually get there and push hard and I think they see that afterwards that it's only meant as a kind of motivating thing yeah uh, in the heat of the moment yeah exactly but they don't see that especially like the girls that haven't raced too much they don't see it as actually a thing that I want to help us mm. by making us work harder so that we get a beneficial advantage out of this uh they see it afterwards and then they're like shoot yeah I, I'm sorry I didn't understand that <laughs> yeah well and it's cathartic for you it, it g's them up like you know presumably g's you up you know you're putting yourself through it let's have a bark let's just roar at each other and get through this and get faster yeah exactly and I I'm learning a lot from doing that as well it's like how do you communicate in a very motivating way how do you make people more motivated how do you make people less motivated and and some athletes tend to respond better at the more like we have to do this come on push 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 and some tend to be more like you have to actually go up to them and say hey you're doing really well I can see you're struggling but you're actually doing some really solid work here I can see you and I see your effort continue mm. doing this like more of a personal attack uh, so I'm learning a lot about communicating <laughs> with different people you know during the races yeah. yeah yeah have you ever sort of in that case have you ever sort of turned to someone and given it one of your specials and just seen their face go oh my god what the hell's going on I got no have you ever felt like you've had that impact on someone immediately of like oh no 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 no, it's fine it's fine <laughs> yeah like some it's some would actually just um well it's hard to see their faces because a lot of people have you know their sunglasses on um but when you don't get a response you just get like a grunt or something <laughs> then you know okay this girl doesn't necessarily have the energy to actually take all this in <laughs> yeah this isn't so I better just, just shut up and just keep my distance yeah but you said at the time as well that and it was clear how much you were enjoying that the bike and working together and that must be is that just one of the best feelings when you you can see the gap growing and you're feeling in the flow and everything's going and conversely it must be the most frustrating thing when you're in a pack that just can't get organized and nothing's happening and for whatever reason that gap isn't closing and yeah, presumably, like, you know, you find yourself in both positions, just depending on the, the race playing out. And yeah. Yeah, I think when everything goes your way, then nothing is wrong. And and that's very like everyone understands that if you're in a flow and it's just going your way and you're dropping the athletes you want to drop. I was in a very good position knowing that uh, with two and a half minutes and yet a lot of people had to run very fast to catch me and I didn't think I would cramp on the run so I thought I would have like a good buffer on the run because I didn't feel bad going into the run uh, leading in you know into the race so I was very confident and I thought hmm, yes maybe I'll be able to take my first win um, but I also sitting on the bike I was thinking I feel for the girls in the chase pack because I always also know the feeling of being in the chase pack where there's no people like no organization like there's 
no people wanting to work together. And I had a Norwegian girl, I had Stina in that race pack and I wanted her to have a good race. I wanted her to feel like she had a fun race ending the season. And I just knew that for her being in that unorganized chasing pack, it wasn't necessarily a fun group to be in because it was probably just boring and, and demotivating to see that we were working so hard and we were organized and, and they just weren't. So I had like split emotions, yeah. How does that, how does that happen if, you know, presumably it's in everyone's interest in that pack to try and close the gap. Obviously there'll be some stronger bikers than others and, uh, you know, catching you in full flight is no mean feat anyway. But I, yeah, it does happen, you know, pretty regularly and you just see these packs, they just can't quite kind of figure it out. and. Yeah, how? Why? Talk us through that. From a well, you see, the thing is with triathlon compared to like cycling. Like I've started watching cycling races just to have an understanding of actually what you can, because you see in cycling you'll get a breakaway of like two people, but then when the chase pack decides or the peloton decides to really commit, they they close a gap of three or four minutes really quickly. And that's what we don't see in triathlon is, you know, the peloton doesn't seem to be able to commit to catch the chaser, no, the, the, the main pack or the getaways. And that's also because we don't have those cycling teams. We don't have these like teams with four or five athletes that can organize. Um, and it's all about actually that the fact of if you're if you're in a bigger group, you have more power, you have more athletes to kind of build momentum and keep the pace up. But they decide not to do it because there's an insecurity of, I don't know if these people are on my team. I don't know if I'm going to do the majority of the work. I'm going to burn out. They will save energy. And when you find yourself in the position where I don't think I'll actually gain anything from pushing, I've only going to put myself in a more vulnerable position. Mm. then you don't actually want to work hard to and then you're ending up looking at each other being very like if you're not going to push I'm not going to push and then the get to you know the breakaway group just gets away um and I wish we had the mentality that I find that the majority of like northern European athletes have the fact that you know we have to commit and then hopefully we'll be able to kind of perform on the run as well. A lot of the athletes know that they're capable of pushing hard on the bike and also running well off. They actually take chances and they race hard. Um, Cause yeah, it's, um, it's hard. It, it's, uh, it's very much a mental game and actually feeling, you know, you have to play smart, but you also want to get the best out of yourself and you want to play the cards that you've been kind of stacking up during training and, and off season. And for me, my cards are really strong on the swim bike. So I want to play my cards. Like I want to play all my cards on the bike. Um, and that's where my best race is also my best results come from is when I invest in the bike and we get the breakaway. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to finish in Quartera, obviously you did come off on at the end of the second lap, wasn't it? at the end of the second lap yeah you, yeah and, and I, I only glimpsed it on the tv but it looked like sharon had stopped as well so it, I, it appeared like yeah, maybe so, there'd been a bit of a coming together but no no I, I was in front and i was just going around the roundabout uh the end of the 
the second last lap yeah and uh, it was just Sorry, slippery so yeah. I yeah so I so I lost the grip on my tires and I just went down and it was really low speed so I didn't I didn't actually get a lot of damage my bike seemed fine I didn't really check my bike I just jumped on it <laughs> mm-hmm. um and I didn't feel like necessarily that I had any damage I, I got some bruising but I didn't feel it impacted my race afterwards but it was just a mental kind of oh I'm leading this race and I'm feeling I've got this under control and then like wow I'm actually lying on 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 the ground right now I need to reset um so and she was behind me so she had to slow down and actually wiggle past me and I think for her as well that was a shock because she didn't think I would go down either so I think for both of us it was it was just like okay where are we at now what's the situation right now yeah yeah and then she was presumably very happy to see you come trucking up again in her oh it was so nice because I came yeah I came up behind her and and she she basically she just asked me I hope you're okay are you okay and she gave me like a pat on the back <laughs> uh, so it was really like the kind of it was a team kind of feeling and spirit and and that was nice yeah and there was a lot on the line when when with you in that position and you know it's not a position like you said you've been in a, a whole bunch of times um so once you'd had that sort of systems check and realized everything was all right, it must've been a huge sense of relief, get up and go again, out onto the run and, and straight stretching away from Sharon. And, you know, there, there was Swiss and obviously Ilaria Zane going very well behind as well, but to you, the gap wasn't really closing in that much. So when you had to stop for that first time, yeah, cramp comes on super quick, obviously. And, you but you knew that you had enough of a, a gap and you were very sort of philosophical after and said you just sort of reset and you could see you kind of breathing in and da, da, da. but without if the if the buffer had been smaller it would have been really hard to stay that calm wouldn't it yeah definitely um it's very hard to kind of get into the mindset of how would I actually what what would my thoughts be in that kind of a situation um I think I, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have said this is my day I'm done because it was the last race of the season I was really prepared that I just wanted to do it and I wanted to get in you know get it over the finish line anyway mm. but I think it would have been more stressful and I don't necessarily think I think my cramps would probably have been it would have been worse because I wouldn't be able to kind of relax physically try to kind of get into that relaxation state I managed to do that quite quickly. Um, I was in a very good mental space when I had my cramps, but yeah, that could have been, in a way it would have been more exciting if it was a bit tighter, you know, <laughs> if I actually had to like crawl over that finish line like a couple of seconds before Ilaria. And, um, but uh, I'm actually quite happy I had my buffer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and again, those small margins, right? You know, had it, had you had a third one and the gap got closed and then, you know and you had just missed out on that gold by virtue of those cramps god and then heading into the off season it's it's you know those these yeah. margins that can dictate your you know the course of how the the next couple of months would go i think that just shows as well that the fact that we had been working so hard on the bike the investment was really the i got something out of it because i didn't know i would start cramping we could have decided to stop pushing hard after the third lap on the bike and we could have gotten like two minutes instead of two and a half three minutes but then that would have really been 
that would have really made it really hard. It would have been made it hard for me to win because I would have still gotten probably the cramps. So it just shows that the more of a buffer you can get on the bike to get on the run, the more control you have. If there was to happen anything very inconvenient like it did for me, mm. um, and I always find that I don't know how where my runs at when I start my run. Uh, the last year it's been more stable, but. I could have a crappy, like a crappy run compared to some of these really like speedy girls from behind. And I just find that I can work harder on the bike and get more out of it than running harder and, and getting like five seconds extra on the run. Mm. Uh, so um, that just shows never give up, always push hard on the road bike because you never know what's going to happen. Quite. Never know. Um, and then, yeah, the other massive race of the year was obviously Tokyo and and it was the seven up front that were you know that had that gap and were sort of stretching the lead that time around and in very difficult conditions but with very experienced cyclists going through so you, you know in that but equally a huge amount of talent in 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 your chase pack there so how was that how did you find that situation in that bike and was that a situation where I don't know everything from kind of course conditions to the pressure of the race and so on played into or, or was it actually just the seven up front was kind of the perfect number in those conditions and it just made it next to impossible to close in on I think conditions had a lot you know to do with how the dynamics ended um because it was very slippery because it was a bit windy people took it took corners very cautiously and there were there were a lot of girls that went down already on the first lap so you just saw that if you rode too aggressively you would you would end up going down uh, and that doesn't help if you want to gain ground on um, um or you know if you want to kind of uh, make the distance yeah, close the gaps so i think that really had a lot to do with it but i also think uh, olympic games is different uh, sometimes um, a lot of athletes they find themselves either kind of visualizing the races before and if you're not in that golden position out of you know out of the water then you kind of end up maybe getting a bit demoralized being like oh I'm not where I should be and I thought I was in a, a better you know in a in in a better place and um, so I just found I found and also looking at the race afterwards, I, I could see that the second and third chase group, they weren't working together. There was there were two or three athletes that were committed and then the rest were just sitting there. Mm. Um, and I think that's sad because I think everyone would have gotten more out of each other if they just, uh, everyone committed as well. Um, but it was a very technical course and it's hard to do those efforts together when the interruptions of corners and and then there's incline and then there's road surface you know transitions and um and i think also the the dominant riders uh, on the bike they tend to want to be in front because then they have control uh and then i i also prefer that as well i wanted to be in the front of my pack because the conditions were so um strange um mm. A huge amount to kind yeah. of concentrate on it in every sense just yeah to stay, exactly. just to stay on exactly yeah and I think that was uh and I've been told that many of times because there's so much frustration in being 
the strong rider having to kind of drag all these girls around. And I've had so many discussions with uh, with Norwegian guys, but also fellow athletes is like, why don't people actually take initiative and, and want to come in front and push? And I've just been told a lot of these girls are just struggling with actually keeping up. So, and like realizing that there, there is a difference of, you know, capacity and especially on technical courses and where the, where it's just, the focus is just on, you know, keeping on your bike and keeping the wheel, uh, not expecting too much of, of everyone. And I think, uh, also, that's very nice when you come to the certain point of not relying on other athletes. You're just kind of, I'm going to race my race. And if someone wants to race with me, that's fine. If not, then I know what I have to do anyway. Um, you don't use too much energy and being frustrated on other athletes not doing their parts because necessarily they can't actually do anything more than they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. For such an individual sport, the reliance mm -hmm. on, on other people is, is often very strong. Exactly. Um, but I guess to know that someone like Flora with that level of ability was able to take the gold and, you know, it was just such an impressive year, but particularly in that race. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a performance, wasn't it? I think it was amazing. I, every one of, you know, the medalists really deserved it and they raced gutsy and um, the way they raced up front, these girls, of course, they deserved the top spots and, they work so hard and they all have their own story. I think that's what's so admirable with all these ladies is everyone has their story um, and everyone's been fighting their own battles and, and the fact that they can, you know, show us that they fought through and, and they managed to kind of get their podium spots was amazing. I think for me, watching Katie get that medal that was really impressive the fact that way she'd reset after having a year with you know losing her dad and and also performing maybe not at her best but actually being able to kind of she got her spot and then she managed to turn it around and get a medal at the Olympic Games I think that was like wow what a like there's there's no words it's just the respect of you know the mentality and she bought it on the day and, and Georgia and, and Flora as well, you know, they've shown that they're the best in the world right now. And the way they do it is also just, there's no doubt they've worked really hard to get there. And, and it's just really, um, you look up to these girls because they were nice and especially, you know, it's all about kind of being good role models and showing that uh, well-earned uh, work gives uh, or well well earned results through really hard and solid honest work yeah mm. and like you said earlier for you being 25 and knowing that you know potentially those best years are still are still to come and that for for Tokyo you can look back and, and think you know that was that was your first games and that's that those three that's they're they're the benchmark aren't they for you personally and yeah, exactly. But I'm also telling myself that I am 25. I'm not 18 anymore. I'm not like this young <laughs> up and coming because that's also is like a default in a, a, a hole that a lot of athletes can get into is, well, I'm an up and coming athlete. And you say that for one and two and three and four years, like I'm young in this sport. I only started, you know, triathlon when I was 20 or whatever. And then uh, someone and you're else it as, and comes when you're not looking yeah, and then Taylor Nibbs exactly. gets in and changes the game again or... 
Yeah. Exactly. So the thing is, you shouldn't make that an excuse for, you know, I've got so many years to kind of develop. You also have to kind of take your chances and, and really put yourself in a position where you can uh, get the best out of yourself and the most out of yourself. Uh, and uh, I just realized this year is I'm 25, like every year I have in this sport from now on is valuable. And that's why I've also tried to do new stuff like do 70.3 because I have trained a lot of years. So if I'm able, like I'm, I'm capable of doing these things now, I'm capable of going into a race, trying to win it. I'm capable of doing a 70.3, the distance. So now the excuses, they're, they're just not good enough. Like I'm up and coming. I need a couple of more years to train for it. I'm not experienced enough. That's both. <laughs> so I'm 25, you know, there's so many people they've done so much when they're 25. Like a lot of my friends, they've got kids, they've got husbands, they've got houses, you know, a master or a PhD. And I'm just like, okay, I need to start doing stuff. <laughs> I think you're doing pretty good. Um, yeah. I, and Christian as well and, and Gustav with his sort of results lately and winning in Florida and so on and, and, and collectively yeah Norwegian triathlon just just absolutely flying and and clearly you're all very much enjoying what you're doing egging each other on to the point of you know these amazing performances and yeah if you if you think back so in for the first Bermuda 2018 you weren't actually there were you but uh that was the the sweep the podium sweep from yeah Jasper, I remember that yeah Jasper Gus and Christian and for you were you watching do you remember thinking oh yeah that was coming <laughs> or, <laughs> or was it I mean the, the the sense of just apart from anything else just pride and in your power's performance must have been immense mm -hmm. I remember I was in Denmark because I've been in Denmark. I've actually been training outside of the Norwegian team from 2016 to 2020. So I was in Denmark, but I was watching that race. And I remember Casper getting away and I was thinking, what's happening? Like, honestly, what's happening? Like, if, if anyone was to do a breakaway, Casper was probably like <laughs> one of the least favorites. But I remember watching that and being really like in awe and also the way Gustav and Christian then went. Uh, and then uh, Andreas Schilling went as well, and he was my team at the time. So these were all my fellow countrymen and my teammates right. going away in breakaways. And I thought it was just amazing to watch. Um, and the way they did it, just so under control. And and it was very apparent that the dynamics in that chasing pack was, as we talked about earlier, there was no one that wanted to kind of commit. No one wanted, they were like just watching each other. Someone's going to blow up, um, basically. Yeah, that, exactly. That yeah. Uh, and the fact that, you know, when Casper went over that finish line and when then Gustav and Christian came over, I remember I was crying. I was sitting there on, you know, my sofa watching it and like crying um, because it was such a big accomplishment for them individually, but also as a team. And I was just so proud. And the fact that none, no one had done that before, but also looking at them and seeing them as a team for the first time. I don't necessarily think I've ever seen them more as a team uh, before and after that moment they started really looking at themselves as one team mm. uh, and I think that really strengthened our um, our kind of um, team Collective. commitment yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the fact that if three can do it then everyone on our team can do it mm. and because it's very three very 
different kind of athletes. They're not similar at all. They've all got their different strengths and weaknesses and, and they're very different personalities as well. And the fact that they managed to kind of get the best out of themselves and they managed to get the best out of themselves from each other is amazing. The, the dynamics in that trio. And so, no, that was a very special day and a very inspiring, motivating day for all Norwegian triathletes. Yeah. Mm. And then you know I, I suppose people kind of thought for a little while after that that was how it was going to be every race that one of those three was going to sort of try and pull the break away and it, that's not necessarily how it played out but so then for you was it were you always going to join that that collective the closer Tokyo got and the more obviously it was that you were going and and was that part of the trying to get a team together for the mixed relay as well that Arnold wanted to get everybody together or what how did that come about you joining in well it was more the fact that I thought the Olympic Games would be in 2020 everyone thought so so I was planning on making a change after the Olympic Games in 2020 because as I said I, I feel like every year is uh is a very important year in you know the development of myself as an athlete because I, I start counting down my years now instead of like counting in my years if that makes sense um so um I felt that I needed a change to kind of develop as an athlete uh so when 2020 went by and there was a one-year postponement I thought I could either wait uh and, and so that came same. after the postponement it wasn't in the it wasn't in the run-up to the original Tokyo no 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 right. no yeah um, the plan was to stay in Denmark and, and continue with my team there and then kind of join up leading into the pre-camp with the Norwegian team, but not train the same and be a part of their training regime the same way. Um, but after the Olympic, like after what was supposed to be the date of the Olympic Games in 2020, I asked myself, I still need to develop as an athlete. I can't postpone a year. I can't, I need to still kind of challenge myself. So that's when I start thinking of doing a change. Uh, and I tried different stuff out um, and then ended up being, well, ended up like winter 2020 leading into 2021, going back home um, and then joining the group. Yeah. Intimidating at all? Put it a little yeah. bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> very, very intimidating. I think also. Uh, Apart from the fact they're all, they all seem like, you know, lovely fellas that, you know, w wouldn't be intimidating on a, a personality basis I'm not saying just in terms of what you were perhaps letting yourself in for it's a very it's a culture where uh, winning is everything um and the focus is on being the best and the best being number one so I was put in a situation where I felt that I had to say I want to win mm -hmm. I want to win I want to win I want to win uh and I don't think I'm in the place in my career where I'm a winner where I can say I want to win all the races I want to do because uh, I'm just not there on all three disciplines and and the fact that I had the feeling that I had to say I'm going into this race and I'm going to be the best uh, was kind of I was lying to myself and I knew I was lying to myself I was telling myself something was I was actually something I didn't believe in and I, it was kind of demotivating and that was all on me. It was nothing to do with the team. But it was just the fact that these guys are in a position now where they can say, I want to win. And mm -hmm. because they're in the position where they believe that they can. And I'm in a position where a top 10 is amazing. That's where my level is as a WTCS, if everything goes as planned. But I'm not, if I can't beat the Florida Duffy. I'm a, you know, I can't beat the Florida Duffy or Katie 
severe is you know then they have to have a really bad day and I have to have a really good day and that's just not happening and uh, so I was just feeling I was in an, envir- in an environment where I had to kind of tell myself I want to win I want to win I want to win but necessarily not believing in it and that stressed me and that got me in a place where I was stressing very much mentally and physically I've I've really felt that going back to the Norwegian squad and and doing the testing and the training that they do there it's really lifted me uh, and made me stronger as an athlete over all three disciplines but mentally I think I was really stressed and insecure because you're in a group of winners and if you're not a winner you're not a part of the group <laughs> um, and that was all put on like that was just me telling myself that it wasn't necessarily something that they told me they never told me that but that's something that I kind of put on myself so and I think that shows in my performances as well this early 2021 season is I was was so close to doing great stuff but I was never there because mentally I was a bit burnt out mm-hmm. uh, and also leading into the games the Olympic games I think I also was a bit burnt out mentally because it was a lot of stress and a lot of pressure I put on myself and I actually didn't believe that the the things that I said I didn't actually believe it because I didn't think I was capable of it and then after the Olympic Games I had a really down period I think a lot of athletes did Olympic Games are very like either you are having the race of your life and you're happy and cheery and everything is golden or you're actually just ending up in this dark hole and like I've invested four years and now I didn't really do my race and what's going to happen and I I was the latter I was really like in a dark place coming home coming off like a training camp for seven months we've been like we left January and I didn't go home I didn't end up you know touching my feet on Norwegian ground until after the Olympic Games mm. Uh, so the fact coming home and having the reality of like I've been to the Olympic Games I didn't really perform and then coming home and and nothing had changed was really hard for me and I went from being a part of a team for seven months to kind of getting home alone so I needed a couple of weeks to reset uh, and then feel sorry for myself for a bit cry a bit get it out (laughs) and then kind of uh seeing okay do I want to end my season or do I want to continue and I said I want to continue I want to end it on a high uh, and do something a bit different so doing a 70.3 ended up not doing Abu Dhabi uh, doing Quartera instead but I, that was such a good decision just kind of doing what I wanted to do not feeling that I had to do anything to gain points gain hmm. because that's the thing as well chasing points chasing Olympic stuff it's like I've done that for three years now I don't need to start doing that a couple of months after you know the Olympic window where you don't have to isn't it and you can pick and choose a little bit like what you're feeling and exactly yeah and I would rather do a continental cup um and try to win and that's what we've been discussing within the team as well and I remember Christian having a discussion with one of our younger girls uh, that's now up and coming Solveig and and he said the best thing to do as a young athlete is learn how to win learn how to win because then you can build that kind of momentum and get that mindset and I've never learned how to win because I was just shocked into WTCS racing when I was 17 mm. uh, we've always been a federation where you just you know you're just challenged you just and then you're playing catch get up. to race yeah and then you just get to race the highest level from day one if you know if you want to uh, so I've been racing 
more WTCS races than I've done World Cups and European Cups. <laughs> so uh, I've always been kind of in the middle of the pack and never been the winner. Um, so it was really nice to feel that this weekend. And um, I think it's important for me to kind of get some confidence and, and just believe in myself as a winner because I haven't really done that. Mm. So that would be your biggest advice to Solvig and Steen, is it Steena? Steen? Steena, yeah. Steena Dale. Steena. Uh, yeah, to, you know, find that, find those middle grounds, not necessarily jump straight into the, into the series events. And I, I think jumping into the series events is a really good thing as well. A lot of athletes wait and they wait too long and they, they kind of spill their chances of doing it. A lot of athletes, they can't because it's hard to get into like the British women and so on. Hmm. But I think a lot of people should try to challenge themselves because I think then you understand where the level's at. Uh, and you also get some really nice stories. You get some really like admiring, like motivating stories. I remember I did my first WTCS race in Stockholm in 2013 and I was, I was new, like literally I didn't know anyone. And I remember Sarah, I don't, if she was Sarah True or Sarah Gruff at the moment, I can't remember, but she came up to me. Uh, she came up to me uh, uh, in the athletes lounge before the race and uh, and talked to me and said, hey, you're new. I've never seen you before. And um, <laughs> it's nice to see you and welcome to this, you know, league. And uh, I hope you have a great race. Um, and that made a big impact. And then after the race as well, I think she she medaled. I don't know if she actually won or if, but she got a medal, I think, that day. Um, and she came up to me after the race as well and said, I was so happy when I saw you were in my pack on the bike. Oh. And the fact that she took time and she saw me and, uh, and she showed that she, you know, I saw the level you had to be in to be able to really be competitive and also the dynamics of racing with these elite women at a very young age, but also seeing that these women are really nice. Mm. And, one, and that made me want to come back as well. So I think it's a mix between you have to challenge yourself if you have the possibility, but also you have to get some confidence by learning how to win. Um, yeah. So a good mix there. Yeah, uh, that camaraderie is is quite an amazing thing to to witness. That and I, I suppose it's born a bit out of a sense of well, we're all in this together. We're about to put ourselves through the mill here and <laughs> hopefully come out the other side. And after Tokyo, when you went over to Claire Michelle and threw down a couple of f-bombs at the uh, <laughs> <laughs> v-camera but sorry <laughs> but uh again that's that that's that thing that like you were saying with Sharon on the bike in in Italy or um, you know with Sarah in 2013 and it's those it's those things that you know you would massively appreciate if the, if the wheels were on if the boot was on the other foot whatever yeah, yeah. And I, I always say that. I always say, do to others what you want others to do to you. Um, and yeah. it's necessarily always I manage to kind of keep those words and, and act on them. But I try to remind myself I'm, when I'm in a position where I see someone struggle, like what would I appreciate someone doing to me? Um, and Claire, really, she's an athlete that she gives so much to the community of triathlon. She gives so much to these young athletes and she's such a good role model and she's such a nice person that for me, it just came very natural to be there for her at the Olympics. And I saw that she was struggling and I thought if I was in her position, what would I want someone to do for me? I would want someone to be there for me and, and kind of show that the result 
doesn't matter. It's the fact that you actually managed to get over that finish line and we appreciate you more than what your, you know, what your race was this, you know, at, at this mm. moment. And I like, it was horrible to see and it was awful, but there is, yeah, I, I was just acting on, on the fact that, you know, she would probably have done that to me. So that was just natural for me to do that for her that day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was very honest as well on social media about the, the kind of the fallout from the games and the emotional roller coaster that, that, that followed. And when you, you know, from such excitement and build up and the dreams and the hopes to, to the other side, it, yeah, it must be incredibly difficult. And then, but for you guys, or, you know, for you and perhaps Gustav more, it, given the circumstances around the games and, and the restrictions and so on, it was your race and then you were on the plane home, right? With obviously with, without the mixed relay to, to kind of focus on. So that must've really enhanced that odd sensation of just like suddenly that's, that's gone almost like, you know, what, mm. a, what an incredible harsh slice through your Olympic experience. Yeah. It's very strange. It's very, um, it's a strange feeling with you building up the Olympics and it's such a big thing but it's basically just race and then you go home uh, and I've been telling a lot of athletes I'm telling like the Norwegian girls this because there's been so much focus now on, on, on building into the next season for Paris and there's so much focus on the mixed team relay and I'm 100% sure we will get the mixed team relay because the fact that we're sh we've shown that we're able to deliver like your top four top five every time we're there is we just have to get into the races and then we'll we'll be there and we'll show that we have the level so I'm not stressed about that but the fact that these girls are now focusing so much on the Olympics three years ahead of time uh, and I've had the experience of being I've been to the Olympics it's amazing but investing all your time and thoughts into a race and then having the possibility that you might not achieve what you want to achieve then you kind of find yourself in this deep black hole and you have to remind yourself that there was so many races in between there. There were so many moments that you should be focused on and you should cherish in between. And, and I always also think that you shouldn't be chasing the Olympics. You shouldn't be clawing, you know, really scraping on the ground, trying to get in. Because if you're doing that, you might most likely won't have a good experience because you barely managed to qualify. Mm. Uh, you barely managed to get in. And the, the chances of having that kind of massive boost and I'm in this race and I'm able to commit 100% and be a part of this race and, and change up the dynamics is most likely not going to be there. So also the fact that you're going to be ready for the Olympics when it starts becoming this natural thing happening with you just you're getting the points you're getting into the races when it just happens by itself then you know that you're the you're an athlete worthy of kind of competing there and and it's really it, I know there's a lot of discussion between because Olympics are very it's unfair because a lot of the best athletes don't get to go there um and I also thought I was I was with Taylor Spivey leading up to the games at altitude, and I was with her when she got um, the decision of you know that she wasn't picked. And I I saw you know how how terrible that was, and I really felt for her. And 
and that made me also really think of you know I have to appreciate this because there are so many athletes that that don't get to go and, and deserve to go so I really have to raise my heart out and um and appreciate that it's for them um mm. and I think it's it's so sad it's so sad seeing all these athletes having you know because the Olympics is so symbolic and I think it's so ironic you know it's such a big thing it's the biggest thing that happens in our sport and the Olympics are everything and then actually the best athletes don't get to go and race and it's so like so strange how it could be the biggest event of you know a four-year cycle and then the best don't get to race um and it's so horrible and yeah it's mm-hmm. just unfair and actually i think diego moya was probably one example of of who you know he had a, a great policy of i just want to be leading or thereabouts coming out of the swim that's that's my that's my goal for this race and he was and like the beaming smile on his face when he and it yeah he had a great race anyway he finished sort of mid-20s I think or low 20s and knew that he'd be sort of on the path for for Paris and so on and you just think yeah it's those yeah just try and hone in on a slightly more specific goal perhaps than yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and Mm. and and when I'm saying you know all these athletes that are getting into the Olympic Games and I think the Olympic Games is also more than just results it's a lot of funding in it as well so for some athletes getting into the Olympic Games is then sorted out for the next four years you know they get funding and that's their way of kind of living off their you know athletic uh, career you know and for some people you have to win a medal to actually be able to get funding and not actually just being there uh, is enough. So mm. it's very individual, you know, the value of representing or actually the value of delivering in like a solid result. It's very different. So, um, and that's what we have to think about as well. This is our job. So we have to kind of think about it also as like, it's fun, it's cool, uh, it's a hobby, it's a passion, but it's also work and we have to get paid and and that's where you know the lines are very like different from federation to federation yeah yeah well and it'll be great if the uh norwegian mixed relay team that has obviously the first high and low of the roller coaster was in lisbon was it and and for Sol solvig would i pronounce yeah, it yeah solvay yeah uh who you know probably by her own admission didn't quite have the swim that she would have wanted to set up that leg to get you guys you know help you guys into that top three that would have got you the mixed relay team like that did you you know did she bounce back from that fine did you have to give her some some good words of encouragement after that as well and yeah how how was the team dynamic feels so unbelievably positive I just hope you know that uh, that she was able to kind of elevate on that as well no, I think Silva is like, she's this bouncing ball. You just throw her down and she just jumps off back again. You know, that's Silva. She's so, she's got this really good energy. And uh, that was such like, a, also with Stina in, in Hamburg, we're really putting them up for a big challenge. Uh, and I don't think I would be able to handle that as well as the, the young or the, the the two other girls the fact that they're put in a position where they know they're the weakest on the team and I can say that and they would be like totally agree with me like they're uh, without a doubt the weakest athletes because they're put in a position where they have to keep up or either kind of hold back 
even in Hamburg, the fact that, you know, Sina got such a big lead off of Christian's breakaway, that was just terrifying for her, you know, <laughs> talking, you know, to her afterwards, she was just like, what do I do? Oh, with that? So, you know, what do I do? You know, and, and looking back, the fact that she, uh, she got caught up so quickly, but, you know, she did her best. And I think that's the thing is you do your best and we can't really control the other teams. Um, Mm. and we're building we're building momentum so for us it's just experience and um, we knew we had to have the perfect day and, and we just didn't get like I didn't perform my best Kristen didn't was it Christian in second leg in Lisbon yeah Kristen didn't perform his best we didn't get that breakaway as we did in Hamburg so the buffer was just not there so we kind of knew already from the start that we hadn't done our performance to kind of set up so very well so it wasn't her only on her. It was basically on the whole team. And I think that really, that puts the pressure off a bit. Um, of course, that was Solveig's ticket for the Olympics, most likely, you know, if she, if she was to kind of uh, get us into, you know, the top three there, um, because she's been racing really well as, the, uh, as well individually this year and this season. And that just makes it even more exciting for, for what's to come in the future. So yeah, we didn't make it, but we really tried and we put ourselves in a position that we didn't necessarily think we would be in a year prior. So that's quite cool that we took the challenge and it's a good experience. And yeah, we were a bit bummed out. But then again, it took us one or two days and we were like, ah. so and then and then we make fun of it. Then we're like, so that you're you're not good enough. Hmm, you know, you need to work. And I think that's the amazing part with our team is like we can actually tell each other off and uh, and say like if you're not good enough you just have to work and you're uh, apparently you're not good enough because you got dropped here and you're crap at cornering and you know we're so honest with each other with like a very like um, humoristic uh, touch mm -hmm. and I think that also makes us kind of okay I need to improve my cornering because now they're really making jokes you know I'm not technically good there and oh I need to like I need to breathe at both sides because I lost you know the relay because I didn't see these girls swimming past me and so you know the fact that we're able to kind of put into words what the what we saw was the error in you know in the race uh well, makes it right. even more obvious for the athlete I need to actually perform and I need to do this better because it was so black and white because my teammates are telling me that I'm crap at this <laughs> yeah that, that sort of sense of humor definitely seems to pervade through uh I don't know, Christian seems like a very interesting character, very, like, to be so, to be someone who obviously pushes himself so hard and yet seems so laid back is quite an interesting combination of personality yeah. traits. I've been very, like, because I've been a part of, I was with Christian and Gustav from the very beginning, from 2010, when we met up uh, as young swimmer, cyclist, going into kind of the sports um and just seeing seeing the development of christian and the way he's become this very relaxed chilled athlete because it isn't necessarily like no in the beginning as a young athlete and i see that in myself as well you're stressed and everything is on edge and if something doesn't go as scheduled and you know as planned it, it's very stressful but seeing him this year the way he's just been relaxing into things if things hasn't really gone if, if it hasn't gone his way then he doesn't stress he's very confident in we'll sort this out we'll make the most out of it what we can control we can control what we can't control control we won't use and you know waste energy on um 
So he's become a very comfortable athlete to be around. And that's really motivating. And, and he's so good at teaching as well, like learning other athletes, teaching other athletes, you know, you should do this, you should do that. And, and especially with our new athletes, Solvay and the juniors and so on, he's a very good role model. And um, it's cool to see that he takes a lot of ownership of this team, as well as, you know, that he's kind of, making his own way and, and testing out new stuff because he's doing stuff on his own now. That's very exciting. You know, the sub seven and, and the Iron Man and, and that's also really inspiring to have a culture where you can challenge yourself in new ways and, and set new goals outside of, you know, Olympics and sprint distance. Yeah, definitely. And then, and you think of Ariel Tvitan, obviously the coach and him trying to <laughs> sort of try and keep some sort of lid on you lot, as well as obviously letting you, flourish and try these new things but he's obviously brought in a whole sort of technical scientific aspect of, of training that he's embracing as well and bringing in so yeah yeah well the thing is and I think that's also been the kind of background for our success is it's always been driven by the athletes uh we've always done what we've wanted to do so if we wanted to do in 70.3 the coaches has been like well you know, if it doesn't affect the Olympic racing or uh, or the sprint distance racing, that's okay. And it's also been very, like, so it's very driven by us athletes. We're very much a part of kind of shaping our own uh, seasons and shaping our own careers. So we're not being told what to do. We're telling the coaches what we want to do. And they'll be like, oh, maybe not. And then we'll be like, oh, I'll do it anyway. Or, okay, maybe I'll listen to you. So I think that's a very good thing as well. We're a very small group. Uh, we're very independent athletes. Uh, we have a good team that can guide us, but it's very much, you know, our own, our own, you know, working space and we're in charge and, and that's nice. Yeah. Great. And a country of only 5 million people. So, you know, it's quite, uh, it's it, the, the, the talent that you've, you've got there is amazing. I mean, there was only... Sebastian Wernerson, right? Who was representing Norway on the on the junior, junior yeah. era, but um, yeah, it is amazing to have that sort of pipeline of talent coming through all at the same time. It's, it's amazing. Mm. I like to think, you know, I, I like to think of talent as you know, there's there's physiological talent, but there's also you know the psychological talent, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of hard will and work ethic talent in our team, and I think that's what's kind of that's what's showing in that we're able to perform as such a small team as well, because we have the work ethic and, and we have the self-belief. Um, and then of course there's, you know, something you have to have as like a physiological talent as well, but um, it's really hard. Um, it's like well-earned victories through really hard work. Um, and uh, the whole team really deserves all the all the success it gets is is through you know honest work and and just enjoying ourselves yeah and to avoid that threat of burnout that you said you'd had a couple of times you know is that would you just see those signs coming sooner if you if you did sense them or you know is that something that that does still worry slightly or that you see as a sort of little alarm bells setting off occasionally or is, does all that experience that you've already had mean that you'd be able to kind of nip it in the bud before it became a problem? 
Well, I think I'm all, I'm always aware of it because it's been something that's occurred. Like I thought when I done it, you know, I've been through it the first time. I'm never going back there. I came back there again, and then I actually hit it again. You know, going in, like had a brilliant start of the 2019 season, ranked fifth in the world, and I was just thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. And then I hit the burnout because it was just too much, too much travel, too much training. But I, it, it's always kind of I have to feel feel my body. Am I happy? Am I, do I like, how do I feel with myself? And then I also have to think, okay, there's criteria here, you know, are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Uh, how's the training load compared to what you've been doing earlier? And what I've really realized is food is key. You have to eat enough. You have to really just fuel um, because in periods where, and, and I've really focused on that this year is, is fueling, like really understanding how much do I need to get in and when do I need to get it in? And the more you eat, the more energy you get and the more energy you get, you, the more you can get out of yourself in training. Um, and I think it's just been, when I've been going into my burnouts, it's the total, it's a total amount of stress. It's, training competing traveling that stress um under fueling um under sleeping that's not going to kind of the recovery tools there because sleep and sleep and nutrition is you know the biggest recovery tools you have and if you're not doing well there and you're having all the stress on top then you're only going to go one way and it's just a matter of time. Is it going to take me two months? Is it going to take me a week? I'll hit that wall and I'll hit it hard. Um, so just kind of being aware of the total amount of stress versus how good are you at the recovery part? That's going to kind of weigh up the stress and make it neutral. Uh, and you never want to tip that scale where your stress is actually really high and your recovery is really bad and low. You have to kind of keep the stress neutral as well to a certain point. And then you, if you have more stress, you have to really focus on the recovery part. Um, and for me, that's eating. I have to eat and I'm happy to eat um, as long as it's good food. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I hope the off season goes wonderfully and you get to, you know, relax into it. And 2022, I mean, I can't wait to hopefully I mean Bergen is on is on the map right for the world Travel. yeah oh that's so exciting like seeing seeing end August we'll be in Bergen I'm just saying everyone that wants to come to Norway hit me up and you can stay at my place <laughs> I'll end up having like 30 triathletes staying at my place and having like this shuttle sent up from Savanger to Bergen honestly I I wish all these that I wish everyone will put that on their calendar because now it would be such a good thing for for Norway and Norwegian triathlon to really get a good event to get all the athletes up there to make it a really fun race. Uh, I can only say it's a very it's going to be a very cool course. It's a stunning city. If somebody actually if they watched the World Championship cycling back in I can't remember if that was twenty sixteen. All right. Um, no, twenty seventeen maybe. Um, that was amazing. So I'm just saying you, if they're telling everyone, you know, if there's nice weather, that's the place to be end of August. Yeah. But I can't really, but I can't 
really promise anything it could be crap weather too so it's really exciting it is and we also got a junior european cup in haugesen that's um a little bit more like south of bergen uh but stuff is happening and i think actually bringing international triathlon to norway after having such an amazing olympic games and and triathlon is becoming more and more focused on in norway that's going to just benefit the sport and for for international athletes as well but also for national athletes so please everyone come to norway so you can help us breed stronger athletes in the future (laughs) (laughs) you will and and coming back with an olympic gold must have there must have been a big impact in the media and and so on at home right with with christian coming back with that gold yeah um a little bit of a mixed like it was very mixed very high but also there we had a very good olympic games and we had a lot of a lot of people take gold medals in very different uh, events right so he was competing with some very uh well-known athletes like triathlon is necessarily the most high profile sport in Norway and Christian is very focused on himself so he's been very much abroad and not really engaging with the national uh with the, like the nation in general and and a lot of these athletes are staying at home training they've gotten a lot of publicity and they, they were kind of really focused in on into going like when they were going into the games as favorites so they got a lot of limelight while you know um Christian was just kind of he was just happy to get home get back to his flat and then shoot off to uh, altitude camp and focus on the sub seven so I think that gold medal is lying somewhere in Bergen and now he's focused on the next the next goal and I think that's uh, brilliant to see as well is he's so focused on kind of becoming a better athlete that uh, yeah I remember I told him after the Olympic Games as well because he he came home uh at, you know to his room at the olympic village and he just sat down in his bed held his olympic medal and his teddy bear you know the japanese um teddy bear and and i had to kind of go up to him and grab his shoulders and shake him and look him in the eyes and say you're a freaking olympic champion you know that and i think i need to remember i need to tell you that for the next couple of hours because you seem to be so chilled with it <laughs> so that was just cool yeah yeah well I mean, August 2022. Then that sounds like the perfect way to celebrate that whole that whole period. And uh, yeah, great. Well, lot of thanks ever so much for your time. And uh, well, thank yeah. you. Have a good, have a good November, December, January. Yeah, you too. And then we'll see each other in 2022. Brilliant. All right, take care. Bye.